but of course now you can run WebAssembly not just inside the browser but even outside on server in cloud native applications and even in edge applications even in like in the serverless space welcome to pod rocket the podcast for developers i'm your host paul mikulskis and today we have an exciting guest joining us Shivai Lamba is a web developer, machine learning enthusiast, and open source developer. After having led Dark Horse as CTO in the past, he's now a developer relations engineer at MilliSearch and working with a variety of different tech stacks. We're going to be getting into WebAssembly, you know, Wasm, TensorFlow, and all sorts of goodies that are coming out in the groundbreaking and bleeding edge space today. Welcome to the podcast, Shivai. Thank you so much, Paul, and I'm really grateful to the entire PodRocket team for inviting me over to be part of this entire podcast. I'm really excited to be speaking about Wasm and machine learning for front-end developers and how these technologies really enable front-end developers to not just think of front-end development as the basics of HTML, CSS, but how front-end development today is much more than just your simple web design. And that's what I am here to demystify some of those really nice technologies that front-end developers can use. It's a really exciting time to be talking about this because it almost feels like front-end development is being blended with the roles and responsibilities that back-end development might have provided in a traditional stack. And right now, we mentioned you're at MilliSearch. What is MilliSearch? Because I feel like that is tangentially related to some of the applications we might be getting into. So MilliSearch is basically an open source Rust-based search engine. So the idea is that in case you might have, let's say, an e-commerce application or you might have a documentation search, there's a lot of content, especially a lot of text-based content that might be there and you might want to integrate a search engine. So MilliSearch is basically a full text search engine that allows you to have a very simple, quick, typo-tolerant search experience that you can embed inside of your application. And as we mentioned quickly at the beginning, like this is going to be a Wasm and TensorFlow podcast. But before we get into that, really quick, are you guys coming for Elasticsearch? Is that a sector of the market that MilliSearch plans to capture? Yeah, so I would say that Elasticsearch is not really a direct competitor because if you take a look at the architecture of how Elasticsearch has been positioned itself is that it's really meant for large corporations that not only require a search itself, but they also require a lot of logging, a lot of uh, observability, right? Whenever you set up Elasticsearch, there are a lot of number of different things that you have to set up alongside the Elasticsearch. For example, you might use Kibana, you might use Prometheus to store the log of whatever search that you're doing. So it's more for enterprise grade and more of cloud-related search as compared to MilliSearch, which is more focused towards smaller sites, right? Or more smaller use cases. So yes, it is definitely in that entire space of a number of different search engines that are there. But I would say that MilliSearch is more closely competing against likes of Algolia, which again are simpler to set up. And one of the best use cases that MilliSearch has is the ease of setup, right? Elasticsearch, you need to set up like servers, you might have a number of different containers that might be running your separate instances of your Elasticsearch. So it can be very heavy and compute intensive to actually set up such kind of search engines. And that's where like MilliSearch kind of shines. Let's dive straight into Wasm though, Javai. You've worked extensively with WebAssembly. What is a WebAssembly? And should we call it WebAssembly or Wasm? So I would say that, I mean, I really like to call it Wasm, but that's totally up to you because WebAssembly can be like a huge word. I prefer to use Wasm is that at least that does help to remove some of the misconceptions that people actually have 
with WebAssembly. When you use the terminology WebAssembly, there are a lot of people who might not have heard about the term that usually have certain preconceived notions about the technology itself. And again, kind of just to put it together, of course, WebAssembly is not really just related to web or it's not just related to assembly language. And that's actually the most common misconception that people usually have. In a nutshell, WebAssembly is this binary instruction format. It essentially allows you to take your modules and functions written in various programming languages like Rust, C++, C, Java, and compile them into this WebAssembly bytecode that then can be run inside of your browser, right? So that's how it was originally kind of foresee but of course now you can run WebAssembly not just inside the browser but even outside on server in cloud native applications and even in edge applications even in like in the serverless space the reason why WebAssembly was thought about in the first place was that if you take a look at how our browsers actually work browsers natively only support JavaScript as the language so if you were to run, let's say, something like a Rust program or a C++ program, which are more performant as compared to JavaScript, because despite the fact that JavaScript being one of the most popular programming languages, there are certain performance limitations that are associated with JavaScript that do not allow you to create very compute intensive or mathematically intensive applications that are much more better suited if you were to write them inside of, let's say, C++ or Rust. But the browser does not natively support these languages. So you cannot really just take any C++ program and run it directly inside the browser. You need a way such that JavaScript itself can take that module or that function and then run that alongside your JavaScript. So that's where this entire idea behind assembly language and the origins of WebAssembly started with ASM, which is assembly.js. And the idea was that you could take any program and then compile it into this native bytecode or close to native bytecode that had close to native performance and then run that alongside your JavaScript code so that you were able to basically run those functions inside of your web browser. And that were kind of the humble beginnings of WebAssembly. Uh, there are a number of different people, especially who are working at Fastly and Mozilla, who kind of spearheaded the development of this entire WebAssembly stack. There are a number of developers who are still in Fastly and in Mozilla today who were kind of, quote unquote, the original creators of WebAssembly. I think it's not only for the web is the key takeaway here. Like WebAssembly Wasm is it's bytecode. Exactly. I'm thinking back to computer science videos where I'm learning about like what happens when I call like GCC or whatever on my code. It goes down to that machine level and that machine level is it's assembly code at, at some point, you know, <laughs> in, in down in the stack. And that's what we're talking about here. Could you clarify for me? So I know like a JavaScript node, it would run in the V8 and in the web browser, it runs as JavaScript. So this assembly runtime, it's completely different, like a whole separate sandbox, so to speak, has been built out. Does this have syscall level interoperability, like how low does that go onto the host machine, the host LXC or whatever it's running on? So, I mean, there are two components to this. I'd also like to share how does WebAssembly run inside the browser and then also on the server side. Yeah, so we could start with the client and then go into the server side. Absolutely. Yeah, rightly mentioned that today WebAssembly is not just a browser-specific technology and we'll come back to the server side a bit later. But traditionally in the browser, as I mentioned, that you would typically take 
any programming language, let's say C++ for that matter, right? So today there is a very popular library called FFmpeg that does video encoding and things like video editing. You can do that. And it's written in C++. Now, if you were to run this FFmpeg library inside of your browser, one of the use cases could be that, let's say if you're creating an in-browser video editor, if you were to do with that JavaScript, just forget about it. Like the performance would be so bad that you'll not be able to run it. The way that you basically do it is that we have this tool chain called mscripted that allows you to take a C++ module and compile it down into this WebAssembly bytecode. Now, of course, as we mentioned, that this bytecode is a very low level and we can say that it's very near to your native bytecode that might be running because, of course, it is not directly native, but it is near to native. So if you talk about, like, let's say, if you were to run some bytecode that is running natively inside of your system, it could be like a Rust native bytecode, right? WebAssembly comes very close to that native performance. So it gives that near to native performance, right? So the way that you would run this inside of a browser is that you would call your, or you will instantiate your WebAssembly module inside of your JavaScript function. The primary way in which you can instantiate your WebAssembly bytecode inside of your JavaScript function is with the help of streaming. So very similar to how we have like streaming functions inside of React, like today in like the server-side rendering and SSG, right? So how streaming works, very similarly, you can actually stream your WebAssembly module inside of your JavaScript function. And that allows you to basically run your WebAssembly module. And there are a lot of inbuilt functions, including like instantiate WebAssembly module. There are a lot of these inbuilt functions that you can find on the Mozilla docs for JavaScript, where you can actually use these inside of your web browser. So the idea is that you would load your WebAssembly module with the help of your JavaScript function. And then you will be able to actually uh, run that. And the idea is that using this, you can run it for any particular application for which your WebAssembly module might have been designed. So this is typically the way that you run your WebAssembly modules inside your browser with the help of JavaScript. Now, if we take a look at your server side, that's where actually the point that you mentioned about making syscalls comes into picture. There is this uh, interface called as WebAssembly system interface or WASI in short. Now, if we understand that how WebAssembly actually works out the box, so there is a security sandbox model and you can think of this as a virtual machine or a VM that runs your WebAssembly model. So the WebAssembly itself cannot really do anything on its own, right? So it cannot really interact with your file systems or it does not have any network capability out of the box. So the idea is that there is the security sandbox model. Your WebAssembly model itself is encapsulated inside of this WebAssembly virtual machine that provides this security. Now, in case you want your WebAssembly module to be able to make calls to the file or make network calls, that's where this WASI comes into picture or the WebAssembly system interface. These WebAssembly system calls, are they like wrappers around existing syscalls, for example, like interacting with inodes or C groups or whatever, or are they built up from the ground again to like natively support the system in the best way possible? Yeah. So I would say that they have been built up from ground up in such a way that they do support like you know, native calls that you can make directly with the help of Aussie. So there is this entire concept of POSIX. You traditionally make POSIX calls outside of your WASI. Now, there are a lot of adjustments or advancements being made inside of WASI Preview 2, which is basically a new version of WASI that's coming out that will move away from the standard system calls or these POSIX-based calls. 
Uh, originally, I would say that when Wazi was designed in the first place, it was much more closer to these system calls using LIPC or how it works internally, right? But now we are moving away and there is a general layer of abstraction that is being built with the help of the second preview that's being released for Wazi 2. Kind of like a hybrid situation now where yeah. we do have natively built things, but there is wrapper level logic being built out. Exactly. We have so many things to cover in this podcast. And so we might speed up a little bit as time goes on, but I just, please humor me with one more question I have, Shivai. Do you think that building things from the ground up is risky? Because we've gone through years of trials and tribulations of syscall exploits, system exploits, and here we're going Let's build it again. Now, granted, we have two, three decades of knowledge standing on the shoulders of giants, but do you have any sense of urgency of looking at security in this space? That's where WebSimly Riley shines, right? The entire premise of this security model for WebSimly that your WebSimly module cannot really do anything on its own. Now, that doesn't mean that it is completely bulletproof from external uh, security vulnerabilities. I would be worried if somebody told me it was bulletproof. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it is not. I mean, that's like another you know, key thing with security is that uh, there's nothing. Today, we speak so much about like the zero trust architecture in Kubernetes. I mean, um, now we're really going out, out of <laughs> context for, for front-end developers. But uh, it's really important to note that because of the way that how the inherent architecture of for a WebAssembly module has been structured. That does make it a lot more future-proof in terms of security as compared to your previous iterations and how we have seen these syscalls being made, right? So that is being very strongly considered when it comes to things like even uh, newer changes that are being made into the entire WASI space. I would say that it is not actually bad to rethink and building this from ground up, especially if we are taking into consideration security. Because generally speaking, security is something that is always an afterthought for most of the software developers. Now, whether like, you know, as a front-end developer, you might be thinking of it as authentication, right? Sure. Yeah. So we can correlate it with authentication. That is why we saw emergence of so many, so many web protocols, security protocols as well, whether it's IDAC, like the open identity access protocol that today we have that is being implemented by Okta, by Auth0, or the Pixie flow, right? Which are really, really important. And we are really taking into consideration security, even for front-end developers. I feel that it's totally fine to rethink it from ground up and keep security as a very important aspect when we are designing the entire specs for WASI as well and for WebAssembly. I think a lot of people agree that security is a afterthought. And when you hear building something from the ground up, that might be <laughs> a first area of introspection. Yeah. As a front-end developer, we have talked a little bit about details. We have talked about server side. We have talked about low-level bytecode. And there are going to be a lot of front-end developers. Don't worry, we're not forgetting about you back-end and server people here. But we know there's a lot of front-end developers listening. And they might be asking, when do I reach for Wasm? When is Wasm appropriate for my project? And I think that bleeds really nicely into like, what is a Wasm-based web container? Yeah. And what's one example of that being used today? Because that sounds like voodoo magic to me of, of a container in the browser. So could we start with an example and then maybe lead into like, when should developers reach and why? So before we speak about web containers, I'll just probably take a minute or two to really discuss about what are the best use cases for any front-end developer to use WebSimply, right? So going back to the first point that we raised on what exactly is WebSimply and why was there a need? 
as i mentioned that javascript as a fundamental programming language is really great it's by far the most popular programming language but there are certain performance constraints that come with it that means that if you are planning to do things like machine learning inference that is very mathematically compute intensive or things like video editing image editing directly inside the browser if you were to do it natively inside of javascript it would be a nightmare to do it because of the performance issues so that's where when it comes to identifying those particular functionalities that you might want to include inside of your front end application that runs exclusively on the browser itself that's where you can use webassembly again the fact being that you would have your modules functions written in more performant application programming languages like c++ or rust compiled into the webassembly bytecode and then run it and that's why you see a lot of applications like figma uh, which uses webassembly then you have adobe lightroom then you have microsoft flight simulator so these are just a very few number of applications that again are very mathematically compute intensive certain parts of them and they use webassembly under the hood to be able to run them very efficiently so that's one of the main use cases for front end developers if you are planning to have such kind of applications inside of your front end app where you can actually use webassembly now when it comes to front end developers a lot of front end developers uh, do not really like to go into back end development because and again it might just be part of their job role that they are primarily just working on the front end frameworks like react next and they might not really go into back end development using node or some other programming language so that's where the web containers basically come into picture in a nutshell what web container is it's essentially this technology that has been built on top of webassembly and web workers like service workers javascript service workers so the underlying technology is that with the help of these web containers you can actually run your entire node js applications inside of your browser so it basically helps you to create this container/vm where it provides you a full blown ide then an entire node system right you can actually run your http servers directly inside of your web browser the way that it works internally is that or i mean if you were to understand like how does it work from an architecture perspective is that as i mentioned that it uses your service workers and webassembly to be able to first of all spin up a new container/vm that runs exclusively inside of your browser so you're not really connected to a remote server which typically you might see with things like github code spaces or some other service that you might use again because like you know, there are some issues with respect to latency then of course security is always going to be a big issue because if you're running anything inside the browser then you don't have to worry at all with security and that's what you know the biggest benefit of web containers is so whether you're let's say trying to build a tutorial on like let's say node.js which actually requires like a command line tool uh, where you might require a, a developer to actually type in some system level calls or make some calls right so you get that full blown web based ide and a command prompt that has node supported inside of it so you can essentially run node.js you don't have to set up a remote server or a backend server inside of your inside of your application to be able to do so so it's really great if you are learning things like backend development you can use web containers for creating tutorials even ai based applications there are a lot of different potential use cases where you might want to use this kind of a setup without having to set up your additional servers just to be able to make those calls so it also becomes more cost effective as well in case you're just trying out backend development what do you think developers should tell themselves i feel comfortable with in my own personal skill set and portfolio before they try to put that ml plugin that video editing app that memory intensive application into that browser environment 
before you go with any such kind of application that you might want to build of course you would still need the basics whether it's for front end dev like with javascript html css your basics of how the browser technology actually works those should be fundamentally good and that also actually comes with webassembly right because we have been speaking a lot about webassembly but there are certain things that you need to be aware so when it comes to understanding that how basically that byte code actually works or understanding how the stack based memory allocation basically works inside of webassembly so you need to be of at least aware of how on a baseline level how does operating systems work how do like you know syscalls uh, they work inside of your cpu that's something that you should be aware of if you really want to understand that how webassembly works under the hood because typically people tend to ignore those especially as front end developers right yeah i think this comes back to the thing we hinted at, at the beginning is it wasm or webassembly and really having an opinion about that whether it's one way or the other you probably really understand like where things are running are they on the client or on the server and you probably are a full stack developer or you have a sense of both ends of the system and i think that's a healthy place to come to webassembly with a lot of times it said oh webassembly can be for front end developers to like get going like get that thing booted really quickly in the browser and i just want to say maybe that is a little bit dangerous because to get the benefits of WebAssembly, you need to do what you mentioned, Shivai. You need to understand the stack-based programming model. You need to understand syscalls. And there's a really interesting YouTube video I saw where this person was doing a test of the same exact sort of looping, yeah. nested loops, with JavaScript, C++, Go, Rust. JavaScript won so many times. Yeah. And it's just because you need to know how to manage your memory correctly if you want to get those performance gains. So it's not like a freebie. It's not a freebie. Is just one thing to highlight. Exactly. We're going to get into TensorFlow real quick, but just to close out the, our like ramblings on WASM and WebAssembly, what do you think is some of the biggest market opportunities that this technology is offering creators and developers? Because it's really shaking up where you deploy, how you deploy, and what you pay for when you deploy. Yeah. And I would say that both from a front-end and even from a serverless perspective, because today there are so many like you know technologies. You have like database as service, you have backend as service with like you know app, open source applications, products like AppRite and Host. So why all these products are being created is to actually help assist front-end developers, right? That is why so many serverless apps are being created so that you can help assist the front-end developers and they're not just reliant on having some dedicated person for a backend that they might want to manage. I think the biggest market today for WebAssembly is not really on the front-end, on the browser side itself. Don't get me wrong, like browser-based applications for WebAssembly are still really great, but the adoption for WASM outside the browser has grown tremendously over the past, like, one one and a half years. So whether it's for cloud native applications or in the serverless space, things related to serverless applications, things related to deployments, that's where WebAssembly really is seeing a lot of usage. And in fact, like you can also actually use WebAssembly to help improve the performance of Node.js. It's being used to create user-defined functions in databases. There's this DB called HarperDB. It's a database that uses Node.js and WebAssembly, again, for being able to define your user-defined functions. It's also being used in like the database space. Again, a bit of out of context for our front-end developers. But yeah, I mean, you'll very likely see a lot of usage. And as a front-end developer, today, I mean, uh, a lot of front-end developers are getting more used to serverless functions. So you might just end up using a WebAssembly-based serverless function inside of your front-end app. Shivai, I know you're a TensorFlow fan as well. And 
WebAssembly, it provides us opportunities to run TensorFlow. You've already touched upon this in our conversation so far. Like, oh, we can run ML stuff in the browser. Yeah. Can you tell me what you found like most impactful in your life when you started using TensorFlow and why TensorFlow? There's PyTorch. There's other things out there. Why TensorFlow? <laughs> yeah. And what was that imp- impactful thing that you were like, whoa, that's cool. Yeah. So I, I would say that my journey with WebAssembly actually also started when I started to contribute to the TensorFlow.js code base. So just for everyone, uh, TensorFlow is basically an open source machine learning library that is typically used to run a lot of like NLP, computer vision based stuff, right? And uh, it was originally created by the team at Google. Of course, there are a lot of different other open source libraries. As you mentioned, there's Onyx, that is by Microsoft. There is PyTorch that is originally created by Facebook. All of them have their own benefits, but I was always a vision person and my role at Dark Horse, which is my previous company, was primarily centered around uh, using computer vision to detect athletes. A lot of my work was primarily centered around using vision-based algorithms. And I would say that the TensorFlow-based models for computer vision were more efficient for our use at my role. That's why I just started out with TensorFlow and there's never looking back because I just felt that overall the developer experience that you get with using TensorFlow as compared to PyTorch, that is better with TensorFlow. And that is the simple reason that I stuck with it. Shivai also has projects he's working on now besides just being DevRel. We should go over them really quick, Shivai, just so you can tell the public, because this is bleeding edge stuff. Major League Hacking, that's one group you're working with. What are you doing with Major League Hacking? Yeah, in a nutshell, Major League Hacking is this community for hackathons. So the idea is that they run a lot of like student-based hackathons uh, around the world in Asia-Pacific region, in Americas and Europe, uh, student developer hackathons. And I have always been a hackathon enthusiast myself. By this time in my life, I have been to over 100 plus hackathons as a like a mentor, judge, or even a like you know, as an attendee. So I am really close to building stuff. I really like to build stuff, right? And hackathons are a really great way to do so. So my association with MLH is primarily just mentor a lot of like the MLH-based hackathons, helping students get started with technologies like TensorFlow.js or like, you know, WebAssembly for that matter. Uh, so really just like, you know, mentoring students and helping judge some of these projects yeah, I mean, that's primarily what I am primarily doing at Emirates. And for the second one, which is basically JS Nation. So JS Nation is a, a conference that takes place annually and I'm part of the program committee. So after having given a lot of like talks, I wanted to be on the other side of things as well. So to really understand, you know, that when it comes to setting up an entire program for a conference, it can be very tough, right? Because there are so many different things. You have to take care of having enough diverse speakers. You also want to ensure that you have trending topics, but also having a good mix of topics, right? Because JavaScript ecosystem is so large that how do you very carefully pick and choose topics and also very carefully evaluate from the abstracts that you get, right? It can be very stressful at times, but it's, it's a good activity to be a part of. That sounds like an executive functioning nightmare to me, and I'm happy <laughs> people like you are there to do it. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Thank you, Shivai. You have your fingers in so many cookie jars here. You're in hackathons, you're in mentorship, you're in JS Nation, and on this bleeding edge WebAssembly stuff. So people are going to want to know where they can follow you if they're listening. Most of the times I'm 
active on Twitter itself. Now, I have also created a Mastodon account. I don't really recall it right now. So probably in the post-production, we can share it. I have really just started to add a lot of my thoughts on Mastodon itself. So I'll probably share that. Well, Shivai, thank you for your time coming on and talking about WebAssembly. I'll just say that the content that, uh, like, you know, Pod Rocket comes up with, it's really great. I have been following all the different podcasts that have come out recently. So, of course, like, you know, the entire team is doing a really great job. And given that how quickly this entire ecosystem for WebAssembly is changing, I just expect, like, you know, a lot of breakthrough projects coming up a lot of breakthrough changes coming into the entire ecosystem. There might probably just be an updated version of this podcast probably in the next few months. So I'll be definitely looking forward to that and seeing how the entire WebSimni ecosystem like expands. Shivai, thank you for your time and thank you for educating us today. Thank you so much.